People don't like to be put in boxes. People don't like assumptions made about them. And the more holistic that you can look at a person, the more true to life the picture you have of who that person is will be. In business, you want to consistently attract incredible people, grow at an accelerated rate, and create a unique competitive advantage. The goal, it isn't to just be the best, but is to be the favorite, the favorite in the eyes, the mind, and the heart of your customer. To stay competitive in today's world, you want to build a business where people want to come to work and where they have a chance to be great at doing what they love the most. And you accomplish that by leading through values. Because when you lead through values, people excel, profits increase, and your brand becomes more human. Now make sure you download your free guide at leadthroughvalues.com. I'm James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer, and you're listening to Lead Through Values. Well, before we start the wonderful conversation with Kristen Sherry, I just wanted to add this information as a background. Kristen A. Sherry is a best-selling and award-winning author, globally recognized career expert, and creator of the UMAP Profile, which won a 2020 Career Innovator Award from Career Directors International. Kristen is a speaker, trainer, and author of international bestseller UMAP, and a 2020 PenCraft Award winner in business books for your team loves Mondays, right? She is the managing partner of UMAP LLC, which certifies coaches, career services, and HR professionals as UMAP coaches and facilitators. Kristen's also an award-winning children's book author, and her new number one release personal success book, Maximize 365, just was released in February 2021. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Well, welcome back to the Lead Through Values podcast. This is James, and today I am really blessed and honored to have what I consider to be just an incredible leader, an incredible voice, uh, especially out there on LinkedIn. This is how uh, we connected, and I'd like to introduce Kristen Sherry to you today. Many of you maybe already know Kristen. She is the author and founder of UMAP, and uh, I can't wait for her to explain that a little bit to you all. But also, uh, just we connected, I think it must have been a good three years ago, Kristen, wouldn't you say on LinkedIn? And and that's how we've kind of built a, a relationship through there, right? Yeah, at least. I would say at least three years. I feel like yeah. you were one of my early connections when I started getting active on the platform. Well, we connected before UMAP, I think, really like hit the scene. Um, I have the book. It's a it's a fantastic book. But anyway, there's just I just was thinking back to that in, in your growth trajectory through that has just been incredible to watch. Sure. Well, thank you so much, James, for having me on your podcast. It's really an honor. I have great respect for you and the way you conduct yourself and how you practice what you preach. So I really love spending time with like-minded, values-minded individuals. So I appreciate the invitation. So yeah, I have you. a very windy career journey, so I'm not going to bore your listeners with that. But suffice to say that I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had these rules in my head that you had to pay your dues until you were 40 in the corporate world mm. until anyone would take you seriously. I'm raising my boys up to be entrepreneurs now instead of doing doing that. I'm not saying I didn't gain value, but um, I, I went through a number of career turns originally wanting to be a neurologist, ended up in learning and development with a lot of steps in between that I'll spare you, uh, and really started out as an, exec, in as, a, uh, as an executive coach and then fell in love with job seekers and became a career transition coach. But I don't coach at all anymore. Now I focus on writing books full-time, self-development, professional development, uh, management, and children's books for self-awareness, building confidence in children. And I certify coaches to use the UMAP profile. And so I coach UMAP coaches. So really those are the only two things I do. I write books. I train coaches and uh, and coach those coaches. And that's it. I've really narrowed my focus. Yeah, that's great. No, and and for for somebody like me who is 
I think there's there's times when I look and watch your career and what you're doing. It's so inspiring because it's like I want to be Kristen someday, right? That's <laughs> that's kind of the thing is I just see how you have have really shaped a career. You've been incredibly intentional about it. Yeah. So when I was working in the corporate world, I was leading the learning and development function at a Fortune 12, and I was responsible for the processes of onboarding new hires. Uh, associate development strategy, all instructor-led learning in the organization, and also the e-learning strategy. And one thing I noticed is we had very clear values as an organization, and we, we taught people those values from day one. But the issue was I didn't feel like we rewarded behavior that lived out the values, and we didn't deter behavior that were violating our corporate values. So it really became the typical values on the wall sort of thing. And it it very much frustrated me that people who did not live out the values of the organization would would rise in the organization. And I saw that as a huge leadership failure. So that was the first step of me becoming disengaged as an employee. And I didn't really want to be that disengaged employee. You know, 69% of people are disengaged at work. I didn't want to be that statistic. So I started to do some exploration with a mentor who is a very successful executive coach. And in that process, he was asking me questions about times I felt happiest and most fulfilled and most satisfied in my life. And so we started storytelling around that. And what was it about those moments or those times that made me feel the most fulfilled and happy and satisfied in life or the most proud or what what have you? And as I started to work through that, the values words started coming out. So I really valued having expertise or I really valued having autonomy or I valued making a difference. And I realized as I laid out those key value words, and you really have to dig in because sometimes people will say, I value family, but family isn't a value because Mm -hmm. there are really dysfunctional families in the world. And and we'll say, oh, we all have dysfunctional families. But I I mean, really dysfunctional families where you have parents that don't want their children to be successful and sabotage them or are physically abusive or are narcissistic, or perhaps there's a mental uh, health situation going on like schizophrenia or something like that. And people really just can't parent well out of those circumstances. So clearly (laughs) it's not family that we value given that there are bad families. So you value something positive that your family is giving you. It could be belonging. It could be connection. Mm, It could be usefulness. It could be love. It could be security. So what is it about your family? What are they giving you that, that you value? So when I went through that exercise of discovering what I valued, I then prioritized those values. If I could have all of the freedom I wanted, but no love or connection, which would I choose? Okay, if I could have all the love and connection, but no accomplishment, which one would I choose? And this forced rank, I ended up with my top 10 values. And then I started to go Mm. through and say, is the role I'm serving currently in my work and personal life, is is that being honored, this value? And then I would go to the next level and say, is the manager I'm reporting to violating or honoring this value? And is the organizational culture, the environment I find myself in honoring or violating this value? And I came to discover that my top five values were all being violated either by the culture I was in or the person I was reporting to. And that is not sustainable because we can be in roles where we're not necessarily loving all the skills we're using or Maybe some of our talents are being left on the table and we're underutilized. But when our values are violated, that will break us in time. Mm, Absolutely. That's when you start having anxiety, your hair starts falling out, panic attacks, crying just at the thought of uh, even just the Sunday dread, you know, thinking about going to work. And sometimes that starts on Saturday. <laughs> like, oh, wow, I have to be there it in does. 48 hours. Yep. Yeah. 
So that that's not a sustainable situation. And so I decided to resign my position once I realized my values were being violated because I didn't think that a conversation would change that. You can always address a situation as your first step because a conversation is easier than a job search. <laughs> so, sure. But Indeed, I realized, yeah. yeah, I realized that some of the values like connection was is my it is my number one value and I, it felt very siloed the environment it was mm-hmm. very individualistic and competitive and territorial so i'm going to try and build a sense of community and connection with this whole group when i'm not the leader of it uh that didn't seem that possible and then my second value was making a difference in people's lives and i knew that my work made a difference but i didn't see it I didn't have that real-time feedback loop the way I do when I write books and people write me and say, I just read your book and it changed my life. Uh, those types of things are the coaches sitting in UMAP certification and they say, you've revealed to me the whole way I'm running my business needs to change. It's not aligned to my UMAP or I've realized I've been working with the wrong customers or whatever they end up saying, but there's always that feedback in the training that's important to me. It's not an ego trip. I ha- it's it's a feedback loop. I have to know that what I'm putting in matters to people, that it's helpful yes. to people. And I wasn't getting that either. And then my third value was autonomy. I need to be self-directed. I need to feel like I am empowered to make decisions that affect my work. And I felt micromanaged and I don't think many people enjoy micromanagement. My Not fourth yeah, my fourth value is fun. And the environment I was in was so serious and so buttoned up and quote unquote professional. And I yeah. love to laugh and and make light of things and I don't take myself too seriously. And it was so stifling. I, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even. <laughs> so I won't go through my whole list of values, but you get the idea of why something wasn't right. And so when I talk to people who are unhappy in their work, a lot of times it's values based, but people don't take time to explore and investigate their values. So they keep moving from place to place and just go from the pan to the fire. So how you work is your talent. That's set your priorities, why you work. Those are your values. What you work on, that's the skills, what you're doing day in and day out, what you're spending your time on, and then who you are, your personality. And any of those four pillars can get out of whack. And if you are not attending to all four, your satisfaction is is not going to be guaranteed. Yeah, that's fantastic. You, you know, I think you laid it out uh, in a very simple and easy to relate way, like using your, your own example of those things. Um, I was just with a, uh, a class I was invited to speak last night, um, at a, um, it was virtual. Uh, there was about, um, 12 people on the call or so, but this was, um, students in an, uh, MBA program. And this was a leadership, um, program that they were in last night. And Sherry asked me to come in and speak about StrengthsFinder and, so I was with them for about a, oh, just under two hours last night. And I had about, I don't know, I had a page of notes. I just wanted to cover some basics. I didn't want to talk with this group about strengths, things that they could learn in books, you know, <laughs> things that they could learn by, by, you know, just getting that on the internet. What I could bring to them and what I asked of them is like, I've got experience of doing this with hundreds of individuals. You've got experience of doing this with what, thousands, tens of thousands? Like you've done it with a lot, a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I've been using and, the Clifton Strength since 2004 on a regular basis. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's um, that's eight years before I started. I got introduced to it in 2012. But the, the point was, is I just said, listen, I'm sitting here and I could talk with you about ideas and strategies and techniques that you could use this in your workplace or like, I really want this to be an ask me anything. Here's the reason I bring that up is the conversation continued to evolve quite a bit. And at one point we kind of stopped talking about strengths and we just started talking about 
uh, the things that you've been given, okay, which would be your talents, your mm-hmm. gifts, and how do you bring them to the world? And and uh, Kristen, one of the things that I have so much enjoyed listening to you and following you on LinkedIn um, that you constantly bring out is this, uh, this um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this, but it's almost like this limitation that people put on themselves around mm-hmm. their strengths, their natural abilities. And you, you said it just a few minutes ago so well of people bounce from one place to another and it's like leaving the fire, uh, or I'm sorry, leaving the frying pan and jumping into the fire mm-hmm. because you haven't prioritized these things. It is, it is so fun when you get a chance to help somebody see their unique gifts and how that they can be released into the world and and that was what was so fulfilling for me last night. This isn't a paid speaking thing. This is volunteer, you know, and for, for me to spend two hours in an evening to do that, there's sacrifice. But I will tell you this, I would do it again in a heartbeat because it was just so fun to see their reactions. And yes, they've taken the assessment. They know all 34 of their strengths. They're going through a book. But what we got a chance to talk about last night transcended all of that. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. And so... Um, uh, what what have you like what's been some of your biggest aha moments in you know either through UMAP or helping find you know these people's strengths showing them what their abilities are i i know a big chunk of you i'm sure when you're coaching with people is encouraging them too mm-hmm. what's been some of your experiences there so I could talk about strengths for days so i'll try to be <laughs> succinct um, there, there have been so many aha moments, James. It's really interesting. So the first aha moment is I've discovered that strengths cause more conflict than personality. I think a lot of people talk about personality conflict, but our strengths are what are driving us every day. Our strengths are, are what are in control of us. So if you have the responsibility strength as your driving strength, your priority every day is to do the right thing, to do things right, and to do what you say you're going to do. And no one is going to get between you and that strength. They will lose every time. So Hmm. working with people who you perceive shirk their accountability or want to cut corners or people who are being unethical, that is just such a deal breaker because being responsible is that person's priority. If you have the strategic strength where you can see the path to a goal very, very quickly, you you see the options on the table, you're going to be called a naysayer in meetings when you've already in a hot minute figured out the solution that's going to work and everyone else is still talking around the ideas and you're getting frustrated. And then perhaps you start interrupting and saying, well, this is, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And you feel like your time is constantly wasted talking through ideas and meetings that you've already determined can't work. If you're a futuristic mm. thinker, you're going to be told repeatedly, we're not there yet. You need to stay focused on the now. Why do you keep looking so far in the future? And you're going to get frustrated. So people who are not wired like you will not understand why you're thinking futuristically, why you're saying those things won't work, why you insist on this way of doing things and why you need variety and flexibility in your work. If you have adaptability, those are your, your priorities. And when you work with people who appreciate differences and want differences, and you are allowed to flourish in your strengths, everything's going to be peachy keen. If you have someone who's wired similarly to you, they'll understand you. But the minute you are in environments with people who have very different strengths. So as you know, the strengths are in four domains of building one-on-one connections with people, working through people, through influence, being a doer or executor or driving towards results, and then thinking strengths. Those are what we call the executive Mm -hmm. bucket because the more you move up, the more you're paid to think. So my priority, uh, sorry, go ahead. Kristen, I just got to just stop real quick because you just said something that listeners on this podcast, I think I I would hate for them to miss it. And you just, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're fine. That was such a piece of wisdom. Say again, as you move up the ladder, you get paid to do what? To think. They expect you to, to 
have the vision. They expect you to set the strategy. And so those are in the thinking domain of talents. And so when you are a young college graduate or an early careerist and you have all these thinking talents, you get frustrated in your career because you want to be involved in conceptual creative things. You might be analytical. And so you want to use your brain. That's your priority. But you're given data entry work, or here's a report to write, or here's some research to do. And you're relegated to that executing bucket. Most young people who are starting out are relegated to the to the executing bucket. They're not necessarily trusted with the relationship building of customers. Um, they're not necessarily trusted with roles of influence. And they may not be at a level where they feel they can influence, although you can at any level, that's a misconception. And they're not really going to be listened to because what experience do you have? But I will tell you that if you have these thinking themes, even as a teenager, you can add tremendous value in the ideating, in the strategy, in the futuristic thinking. My son, who just turned 20 last week, has futuristic ideation and strategic. Uh, he's got competition and significance too, but I want to talk about his thinking strength. So he's an idea person. Sure. He thinks futuristically and he can figure out the shortest path to a goal with strategic thinking. And when he was in high school, we were talking about my job on the way to work. And at that time, I had too many clients and I was completely that I was on calls too much. And my son said to me, now keep in mind at this point, I think he was in 10th or 11th grade. He had not had his first job yet. So my son had never worked. He ended up getting a job very shortly thereafter. But he said to me, well, mom, it, it seems to me that what you should do is you should raise your rates and have fewer clients and you'll make the same amount of money. Wow. That's impressive. He was using his ideation, his strategic, and his futuristic, and that's consulting and coaching 101, right? But yeah, a lot of is, people yeah. don't learn that lesson and aren't doing that. And I was floored. But think about what a valuable insight that was from a teenager who's never had a job. And that's what, what I tell stay-at-home parents or people who have not mm. – or people who've been incarcerated for years or people who are just entering the workforce – you have tremendous value to offer out of your gifting. Just because you don't have a lot of experience doesn't mean there aren't things that you won't bring to the table that you do exceptionally well. So I believe in the potential and the, and the actual real value that every person can bring now, despite how much work experience they have because of their natural gifting. Okay, so... I absolutely love where you just landed because I, I was wanting to to discuss with you uh, something that I'm wrestling with a little bit, and that is um, just the concept of of saying to somebody, "I see so much potential in you," mm -hmm. versus "I see incredible abilities in you," mm -hmm. and. I, I will just say this. So again, we always have our own experiences. This is where we start. So I have my own lens, my own experiences, you know, things that I think back to. And I can I can take it all the way back to being in seventh grade in industrial arts class, which was a forever ago for me. <laughs> but um, I we were doing a project and it was called, um, well, actually, I don't know what it was called, uh, but we had to build this model car and it was CO2 powered. And, and the idea, the goal was to race them. Mm-hmm. And I seem to have missed the objective. I just wanted to build a cool looking car. <laughs> and uh, I did not try to make it streamlined. I didn't try to make it as light as possible. So they had to match. They had to be a certain weight, but they couldn't exceed. Oh, no, you could be as fat and as heavy as it, as it wanted. But I guess it had to be a minimum weight. Mm -hmm. uh, but so the idea then was to build it light so it would be fast. And I didn't do that, but it looked cool. And <laughs> I remember my seventh grade industrial arts teacher, he's a wonderful man, uh, big, deep voice. And he had these huge bear paws for hands. And he put his hand on my shoulder that day and he said, I expected more out of you. Oh. Now, I, I love that feedback. But where it took me was 
now when somebody says they see potential in me, it I I find it to be at times almost hurtful. I'm like, dang, what am I missing? Right? That's the thing. And so I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but but what what has worked better for me personally has been when somebody says, you have some incredible abilities. And and you said it just a few minutes ago, you have tremendous value. You have tremendous capabilities within you. Let me tell you four or five that I see, because here's the thing, we can't see them so many times. It's, it's uh, maybe as a result of, of lack of confidence or an experience by a well-meaning person in our life that, you know, is, has a tremendous influence on us, whether it's mm-hmm. a parent, coach, teacher, whatever this concept of potential versus abilities, where do you land on, on something like that? So I think that people have abilities, but they're sometimes not living them out or people are are exercising their abilities, but not to the fullest. And so that's where I find the word helpful is to help people realize they're capable of more. So, and, and, I think that appeals to me because my driving strength is maximizer with futuristic as well. They're both tied in the driver's seat of my strengths car. So the word potential is I, we speak our strengths and people with maximizer, as you know, like to move people into roles where their potential can be fully lived out and take them from good to great. So when I use potential, yeah. I'm speaking of going from good to great. Yeah. You you and I have, uh, we talked about it, I think, at least share at least three in our top five, because mine is futuristic, strategic, self-assurance, maximizer, relator. That's my top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm the, maximizer, futuristic, strategic, ideation, and input. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um. So... Yeah, this is this is the thing. Both of us have talked about this before on a phone call of just what it's like to help somebody see those switch that switch flip. And and you and I both have kind of said before, uh, I I would do that for free, right? That's like the money part of it is just like how we make a living. Mm-hmm. But it's that it's the reason we get out of bed in the morning. And when our feet hit the floor, it's like okay, let's go, you know. Yeah. And what I also like about the strengths focus is it removes the guilt when you see your bottom five. And that was really life changing for me. Back in 2017, I decided to unlock my full 34. I didn't really want to look at the full 34 before that because maximizers don't really focus on their weaknesses. So I didn't care. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. But I decided to unlock the full 34. And I saw my bottom five were all executing themes, which was not a surprise to me. And people say, well, how do you get so much done? I don't have a single executing strength until number 22, which is a ranger. And my bottom are things like consistency, restorative, deliberative, all of those executing themes. And when I saw that consistency was my 34th strength or AKA my number one weakness, it released me from a ton of guilt, from mom guilt that I I can't consistently get out the door on time to drive my kids to school. One day it's 7.22, one day it's 7.38. Bedtime could be 7.15, could be 8.15. When my husband travels, it gets even worse. And I would forget to brush my kids' teeth. A couple days would go by and I would say, oh my goodness, I haven't given my kids a bath. And I would have a lot of mom guilt around that. Of course, I've since learned that it was a campaign by the Plumbers of America to convince people they even needed a bath every day. It's really not good for us to do that every day. But now we have that standard. So we feel we need it because we can't stand the natural feeling of our oils on our body, which are actually good for us. But that's a whole other story. Mm. But I had a lot (laughs) of guilt around that. If people knew that I, I forget to bathe my kids some days. They would just think I was such a terrible mother. And then I realized, hey, my husband has executing themes. He can just be responsible for bedtime routine. So so in the morning, I drive the kids to school. I pick up the kids from school. I'll make dinner. My husband will clean up the dinner dishes and put the leftovers away. And then we'll hang out with the kids for a little bit. 
And then he will do the bedtime routine and he calls me when it's time to read. I'll go in and read with my daughters because I like to do that part. (laughs) And he will as well. And then I go back to my room and I have a hot bath and he brings me a glass of wine and, and we're good to go. And I have no more guilt around that because I realized I'm not a bad mother. I'm not good at setting up and following consistent routines, but I'm very good at affirming my children. I'm very good at encouraging them and helping them see what's great about them. I'm very good at building their confidence and self-esteem and showing them love and all of these things that matter more to them than whether or not they forgot to have a bath on Tuesday. Man, this is such a a, wow. Like you said some powerful things like this whole release from guilt. Um, You know, one of my values is freedom Mm -hmm. and I need freedom. It's very much like when you talked about autonomy, right? I need freedom to make decisions, to like kind of dictate where I want to be able to take things. But what came into my brain was being in an office setting Mm -hmm. and you are, you have these tremendous talents that maybe you are aware of, but maybe you're also not aware of. Uh, For me, it was not being aware of them fully and having managers that did not also have awareness of them. Mm -hmm. Feeling trapped. Uh, I'm an options guy. Like if I, the only time that I ever really feel like incredibly anxious, that shouldn't be the only time, but one time, one way that I feel incredibly anxious is when I can't see options. Right. Fight or flight starts to kick in right away then for me. I need to know that there's always an option. But what's really hard is that when you have a manager who doesn't understand your strengths because they don't understand strengths and they don't understand their own, mm-hmm. they're trying to fit you into doing the way that they see the things. Oh, yeah. Like I like we just I just did a training on delegation. Like we so often we delegate and we tell people exactly how we want it done because that's how I would do it mm-hmm. rather than giving them the the ownership to, to figure it out on their own. Right. Yeah. It is, it is so confining and, and, and you just feel trapped. Yeah. And I've had that happen where managers just didn't understand me and to the office setting, like you were saying, I don't like collaborating. <laughs> I have four thinking themes and one influencing theme. So my priority is to think things up and work through other people to get it done. And collaboration requires me to use relating themes and executing themes, working with people to get things done. The two very categories that I don't have strengths in. So when people, it's kind of funny, James, when people send me a LinkedIn request and the personalized note said, just wanted to to connect and see potential for collaboration. I'm like, do I want to accept this (laughs) connection request? Because I'm going into fight or flight mode right now. I thought of collaborating. I do not like collaborating. Now, the reason is because I don't have a lot of relating strengths. I do in my top 10, but it's relator. So I'm choosy. Relators are choosy on who they spend time with. Right. And then I have individualization. But because Maximizer is my driver, I like to work with the best. And when you're in a corporate environment, you don't have a say in who's on your team. I don't get to choose my team. So I do like collaborating with people I respect, who I feel are intelligent, who are also strategic. I, I get frustrated working with people. You don't have to have strategic in your top five but I get frustrated working with non-strategic people because I feel like they they can't see the goal and mm-hmm. they are putting up ideas that aren't viable and I have to talk them down from that and it's frustrating to me. So, yeah. But Kristen, the there's so many business seminars and books and <laughs> that say we're supposed to collaborate. No, right? it's not you for, know, and for this me. Is, it's not for me. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and so if of like like there's companies have a culture, the organization has a culture, but then there can be subcultures or there are for sure subcultures within departments and teams. And sometimes they can really like extend outside of what the, the organizational cultures really are. So you have now a manager that insists on collaboration. Mm-hmm. Oh that just oh. puts you into a spot, right? I had that manager. <laughs> It's, you just you just put me in fight or flight. I just <laughs> I had this manager one time who was creating this forced collaboration. And so anytime we set up our goals, we had to meet with all of these other people and and collaborate 
around these. And I just thought, oh, this is just awful. We had to come up with these agreement building conversations and things like that. And I just really didn't like it. But for a long time, I thought something was wrong with me. I felt guilty that I didn't like to collaborate. But if you look at how I spend my time right now, I have created an assessment tool that technically that's my expertise. So I am essentially consulting, helping people put that tool in their practice. And I'm writing books. I don't need to collaborate to do those things. People are paying me for my expertise and purchasing my expertise. So I'm where I'm meant to be. So I don't need to feel guilty that I don't like to collaborate because the work I enjoy best in and, and do, do best and enjoy most is not collaborative work. You know, that very situation of having that manager that is, 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 is insistent upon certain things and is um, maybe inflexible around that. There's an incredible opportunity in most businesses, re- regardless of size. There is a huge opportunity to be able to point those things out because we just get into the do mode so often. And one of the things that we all know to say in business and leadership is we want to avoid the words. We've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. And except that is such, it it is a sneaky little accidental element of culture. It sneaks in all the time. And so you have a, a good, again, you have a good manager where we've put a team together that insists on collaboration. Somebody like you is, is going to flounder. You're going to be frustrated. You're not going to be working at your peak at all. Therefore the team isn't as good as it is. This isn't necessarily um, an issue with the personalities. This is, this is an inflexible leader. This is a leader who lacks awareness, right? They might have consistency in their top five and they like to, to keep the processes consistent and the same. And the person who wants to change things might have restorative. They have trouble done troubleshooting or uncovered problems that they're seeing. We're working out of our priorities, right? We're working, we see things through the lens of our priorities And the issue, I think, is the black and white thinking. There's value in the status quo. If you had everything changing, if you were promoting everyone in your organization, your company would fail because you have no preservation of institutional knowledge. You have to have a foundation from which people are promoting from. Because if everybody's moving at once, that's chaos. So there's value in the status quo, but also on the foundation of what's working, you need to be continually revisiting what could we be doing differently, better, or more of. And so the black and white thinking is what really becomes problematic because people say, well, this is the way we've always done it. And then you have other people who are trying to continually upset the apple cart and change everything. So there's a happy medium there somewhere. Absolutely. So this brings up a question that I've been kind of wanting to ask you for a while. And this is um, something that I am often asked, or it tends to come up and probably because I'm leading it to that. How are strengths and values different and or complementary? Are they in opposition, Kristen, or are they yoked? Like, how, how do you see it? So the way I describe these, all of these different things that we, that we, that describe a person is like a human iceberg. So you have about five to 10% of an iceberg above the surface of the water. And that's in the case of a human being behavior. That's what we can observe behavior, but behavior is influenced by the 90% of the mass below the surface. And so at the very, very surface, we have the person's experiences As you go deeper into the water, things become more innate at the base, at the foundation. So think about going down. You start with your experiences. And then you have things like emotional intelligence, critical thinking skills, values, personality, and strengths. So at the base, strengths are innate. You've you've inherited your talent from your biological mother and father. And it may have skipped in the genes. It may, those genes may not, it may not have been expressed in your dad, but maybe it was in your grandfather. So if you look at my top five, four of them are from my mother. One is from my father. Thanks dad for the ideation. I love that strength. (laughs) But I, 
also look like my mother. I sound like my mother. I laugh like my mother. I speak. I hear myself on podcasts and I think that's my mother. I answered the phone at my mother's house last week. My son called me and said, hi, grandma, when I answered the phone. <laughs> wow. And yeah. I talk to him on the phone every <laughs> week. So I, we sound that much alike. So yeah. the point is, the difference is values are somewhat innate in that if I have responsibility as a strength, it's very likely I value responsibility. But mm -hmm. also, so we have phenotype and genotype. The genotype is the natural uh, inherited genetic DNA stuff. And the phenotype is the, the nurture part of the nature nurture debate. So when you have your values, some element of your values are learned from experience. So you might naturally not have empathy as a person. You might be very task-oriented. You may have very little relational talents by nature. But you have this sense of social justice or you've seen suffering and you might have empathy for people in suffering from what you've seen in your life. So that's why it's really important to look at people holistically and not hire based on just a strengths assessment or just a personality assessment, because you're going to assume, oh, this C in DISC, this conscientious person, they're very reserved. They like to work by themselves. They're not team players. They like to be right all the time. And they're, they, they, they're really stubborn. <laughs> you start to make these assumptions, but then that same person values community and compassion and collaboration because they've learned in their life that life doesn't go as smoothly if you yeah. are are just constantly just looking out for number one and you don't want to have people in your life. So you can make assumptions about people when you look at one dimension of who they are. And we're really very complex. And there's no one person that's the same as someone else. So the values that you will see some symmetry with your strengths and values. So for example, people who have all relating themes, there's no way they're not going to have relational values like connection, community, compassion, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. But you will find values that surprise you where you see a person's strengths and make this assumption that they have all of these thinking strengths and they probably don't like being around people because all their strengths are what we call inward facing. The executing and thinking strengths are more internally focused. You can sure. make assumptions about that person, but then you look at their values and see, oh, look, they value generosity and compassion and fairness. And that really affects that five, 10% behavior you see at the top of the iceberg. People don't like to be put in boxes People don't like assumptions made about them. And the more holistic that you can look at a person, the more true to life the picture you have of who that person is will be. Kristen, one of my favorite things to say about StrengthsFinders um, is to say this, that StrengthsFinders starts conversations that need to happen that don't happen on their own. Yeah. Um, it, it, because we just are entering into it from a source of positivity instead of uh, deficiency. Mm -hmm. And, and again, the other piece that goes along with that, that you said so well is like, it's a snapshot of who you are, where you can take a glimpse into somebody and then ask questions around it. Like, that's how I think about using it um, in an interviewing situation, mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking to hire. Um, but no, this, boy, I could talk strengths with you all day. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Um, here, there is something though, too, that, that I wanted to just kind of cover as we're winding down and it's, uh, we've known or know people who place a lot of, of their identity in their career. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am a VP. I am a district sales manager. I am the CEO, the CFO. And as a result, they can get lost. Their priorities can get completely out of whack. Um, if something changes, you know, part of that identity might be their financial status. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is something that I believe that strengths really, or and and not just strengths, but like what you do with UMAP, mm -hmm. you are trying to get to the heart of what makes a person unique, what make what like the magnificent talents 
that are within them, you are trying to extract and help them to see it. Mm-hmm. Do you have some insights into like this concept of how I see it is like we're transition into like transformation. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're not going to place our identity in my status anymore. So it really comes down to one thing for me, James, when people have allowed their success to go ahead of their character, that's when they end up getting in that kind of trouble. Mm. I remember as a very young girl, my father saying to me, I was under 17 because I remember the house we were living in. So I don't know how old I was, but my father said to me at the end of the day, when you die and everything is stripped away from you, all you are left with is your character because that's what people are going to speak about at your funeral. They're not going to say, boy, they had a really nice fat paycheck and a great car they drove. People speak about your character. That's really all you take with you. That's what your legacy is. And this is very much a Western culture thing where people identify by their job titles. If you go to African countries and you meet someone, you come across someone, they'll speak for 20 minutes about how your health is and how your family members are doing. That's their priority, health and family. So this is not a human universal per se. It's more of a cultural thing. So given that we're both living in the Western culture, I'll speak to that. I think that because our culture was founded in the notion of the American dream and pursuing happiness, we have gotten down this path of the people with the most toys wins. (laughs) But ultimately, people will tell you So my pastor played in the NFL and he thought all my problems are going to be solved. He came from the projects. He grew up very poor, um, dad in and out, even mom in and out and raised by his grandparents at one point. And he learned very quickly in the NFL that all the nice suits and the money, he still wasn't happy. And he shares his faith journey on that's where he eventually came to <laughs> to have fulfillment. Uh, that's another podcast for another time. But all that to say, people who have wealth will tell you, I if you're not a happy person to begin with, adding money to it is not going to bring you happiness. Now, I say that, that research shows that when people don't have their basic needs met, they can't have stable housing or consistent nourishment adding enough resources to that where you you have your basic needs met does increase people's happiness. But after about $75,000 a year household income, any added income beyond that does not increase happiness and in fact can decrease happiness because more money, more problems. <laughs> mm, so, right. but it's one of those things that wealthy people will tell you, I'm not happier because of my money. It's something that we don't believe until we experience it ourselves. And I had the wonderful blessing at a young age of doubling my income with a promotion and realizing that I thought I'll be happy when, and I doubled my income and that didn't happen. I didn't experience increased levels of happiness that I thought were going to come. So I learned that lesson at 29 years old. So I was very fortunate to not be the chase the dollar person from that lesson. No, that's great. That's so good. Well, Kristen, uh, as we kind of, again, winding down this episode here, um, I might just ask you what's, what is something that, uh, you would like listeners to know either, um, that's come up on this conversation with me today or something that, uh, that you've written about or you train in with UMAP? Is there something that comes to mind that, that would just be sort of a parting words of wisdom from, from Miss Sherry? I always like to tell people, don't leave your gifts unwrapped. You really need to take time to explore who you are and what you do best because the more you know yourself the less you rely on other people to tell you who you are good 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 stuff uh Kristen so how can people find you uh where should they go to view your website where can they get your books uh all of these things 
So they can visit me at my UMAP, and it's Y-O-U, not the letter U, myumap.com. You can visit my author profile on Amazon. Just search my name in the Amazon box. It'll take you to my to my books. Um, you can visit me at kristensherry.info. That's my author website. Or just on LinkedIn. I'm the Kristen Sherry in North Carolina. Wow. I just, I can't thank you enough, first of all, for making the time to do this. But if you're listening to this and you are, this is your first time getting to hear Kristen, please do check out her books. Uh, UMAP in particular is an incredible book, uh, but you are getting into the children's market. Um, let's see, you've got gifts, you've got values. Like what are some you've of the names skills, of your children's books? You've got personality. Like? And I'm doing on my YouTube channel, um, youtube.com slash C slash Kristen Sherry. I'm doing uh, readings of all of my entries of Maximize 365, a year of actionable tips to transform your life. So people should... Join me on YouTube, and and I promise you, in a year, your life will be different. <laughs> I do not doubt that. That's so good. Thank you again, and uh, I can't wait to uh, just continue to follow your career path. Thank you so much, James. Hey, everyone. This is James, and I want to share an important message with you today. It's that leadership isn't a talent. It's not something that you're born with. It's something that you learn. It's a blend of confidence, humility, courage, empathy, and drive. But it's also having the highly developed toolkit of skills to help you and others on your team work with and through each other. Unfortunately, most people in leadership roles get little or no training on how to lead. So they end up leaning on the experiences that they've had with bosses and managers from their past, both good and bad. The result? They lack confidence in their ability to become an effective business owner, to be an effective team leader, to be an effective executive. And that's why I created the Accelerate program, because I want to help leaders have a rock-solid foundation of essential leadership skills. Things like recognizing what makes you and others around you exceptional. How to master feedback as a powerful development tool how to reduce and resolve conflict and improve communication at the same time, and how to create a culture of excellence where people tap into their abilities. Now, maybe you're thinking, I need that, or someone on my team needs that. So if building culture, improving communication, and driving engagement are truly important to you, and you're motivated to make it happen, then check out Accelerate by visiting my website, jamesmayhew.com, or contact me directly for any questions that you have or to reserve a spot.